0: Shannon Lee Simmons will change the way you think and feel about money. She's a financial planner, a best selling author, a speaker, founder of the New School of Finance, and a money expert on the same show that I'm on, The Marilyn Dennis Show. But she's so much more than that. She's so cool, calm, and collected when she talks about money, when she teaches about money. In fact, I took one of her courses. And she is here today to teach us how to fall in love with our money in a way that makes sense. So, with that, let's talk about it. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: I'm so, so happy I'm to s-
0: be here. Oh my God. I'm so excited to have you because, I mean, money is a layered conversation. I think. Now more than ever, people are talking about money and money things, and I like how you talk about money. But before we get into the questions, tell everyone your money story.
1: Oh, that's a big question. So my money story, well, it starts with, I think, um, what made me so interested in money from a young age is that um, I, I grew up in a family business, and so money was always talked about. And I knew other families that never talked about money. And I knew everything, whether we had a good year, bad year, the holidays would be reflective of that. We went bankrupt at one point when I was 10 years old, like cars towed out of the driveway. And then my dad rebuilt with the help of my mom. So money from a young age was like something that we talked about. And I think importantly, which I didn't realize at the time, this is upon years of reflection. um, I knew that sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down, but that doesn't necessarily define you. And I, I don't know if my parents did that on purpose, but it was definitely viewed as a tool. And then I saw how other people dealt with money too. And I I just had this fascination with it. And then, um, that's how it kind of, my interest was piqued. And then obviously I love people. And so the marriage of like money and people is personal finance. And then that was just where that kind of grew. I always always knew, um, that I was going to do something with like money and people. As soon as I went to university, I was like, that's where I got to That's where I want to be. So that's, that's where it started. And now 15 years later, I have been running new school of finance and, uh, I've seen so many people's financial lives unfold over that decade and a bit. So it's been really exciting.
0: I mean, that's how I learned about you is because I took your, well, I saw you on like TV and had read some articles, but I took your solopreneur like tax program and it completely changed the way that like I felt about money because I think that money fear is completely real. People don't look at the numbers because like you said before, they don't view it as a tool. They kind of view it as a defining characteristic. Like if I have money, I am worthy. If I don't, I'm not as opposed to, and what I liked about you is that you talk about money very, like it's cool in the sense that there's no like high emotions in it. And I feel like that was what I was drawn to with you.
1: Thank you. That's such a huge compliment. I, I, I feel like money is a tool and we use it and it's important to understand how to use that tool. But that doesn't mean like a bad, a bad call doesn't mean that you're gonna make bad calls forever. A mistake doesn't mean you're gonna make mistakes forever. It's like, oh, we learned and now we have a different skill set. So it's like, I am detached from it. Um, And I think that came from like my upbringing with that. And so that's cool that that was also your experience. That's a lovely compliment to say. Thank you. Oh my God. Complimenting right out of the gate.
0: Well, like (laughs) I mentioned, money fear is very real for a lot of people. And I consider myself one of those people that has had to really work through some of those fears. So what advice would you give to someone who is feeling scared to look at the numbers? Like they're scared of that first step. What advice would you give them?
1: Absolutely, and I have been that person too. Uh, so even with all of that knowledge, I still get afraid. I'm still up at three a.m. sometimes, googling stuff. So we, I think, I think it's because money is primal. So what I would say to that person is that you're not alone. Um, even people with the most financial savvy or knowledge, where you might think that they have their life together and that everything, you know, they must know what's going on and they're making good decisions. And why am I not making good decisions? And what's wrong with me? Um, so I, I'm like a perfect example of someone who still gets anxiety about finances, even though like things should be okay and everything's fine, but I'm still nervous about every everything. And so what I say is you're not alone. And I think we really need to understand why money does that to us. So why are we scared to open the the bank account? Why are we scared to look at the balance on the credit card? I think it's twofold. So first and foremost, I think that there for anyone dealing with a situation where they actually can't pay Mm -hmm. So there's an actual like realistic logistical fear of like, I see this thing that I'm not able to do. And so the sense of, um, fear and failure and shame there, there's that feeling right there because you have to deal with something that you don't really have a solution for. Mm -hmm. And then there's the underbelly, the, the layer of maybe you can afford it or you can pay for it, but it represents something to you like a bad decision. Or there's like a financial hangover from something that was, that happened where, um, you don't want to look at that. And a lot of times debt can be that for people because it's like, you know, a bad breakup. And then you had to spend $2,000 to like, get out of there and move and blah, 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 blah. And then now that's sitting on a credit card. And every time you look at that credit card, that's what a thing, that's what you think. And then, so I would say the worst case scenario is that, I mean, the one thing to say, and this sounds like I'm harping on it, like, um, but it's only going to get worse when you don't look at it. That is a real. fear to stop the first thing you have to do is just figure out where you're at you have to look I mean that's the
0: thing you have to look and I will be honest I was one of those people that, like I didn't look at my taxes for years and when I finally looked the amount was so high had I just done it like year over year it would have much been much more manageable but it was that fear that like stopped me from doing it yeah Oh, sorry. I wasn't sure if you cut out, but we're going to keep going. Okay. But one thing that I found that as you grow in your sort of like, as your baseline of wealth goes up and up, it's not that I think the fear can sort of like follow you as opposed to people thinking like when I make this amount of money, I'll, I'll stop being scared of this thing or that thing when it comes to money. And it's like, no, those can exist at any bracket. It's really about yes. you understanding the whole thing.
1: A hundred percent. So I think that there's, if, if that base level of like, um, you know, you can't pay your bills, if that goes away and you actually can, but the fear is not gone, then that's that underbelly. That's that like anxiety piece that has to do with either maybe some financial, um, you know, a relationship with money that was set long ago or Mm -hmm. like, like something like that, that comes up and rears its ugly head. Um, it can also be things like, um, like just worrying about uncertainty i find people who have the most financial anxiety um, are those who don't sit well with uncertainty so so la- there is a there is a la- lack of control with mm-hmm. financial outcomes so we don't know what the stock market's going to do we have we have history and we make assumptions that that will be okay in the future we don't know what interest rates are going to do we have history we make assumptions we assume some things Uh, We assume our jobs are going to be okay. We assume our businesses are going to keep earning money, but we don't know any of that for sure. So all you can do is just trust that you're making the best decision that you can today. And somebody who's not really confident that they can make the best decision today, given everything that they've got, that's a person that's going to have a lot of financial anxiety because they're, they can't guarantee the outcome of what they're doing today with their money. And of course, money is people don't want to be rich for the sake of rich most people anyways that I that I talk to most people just want to know that they're going to be able to like Mm -hmm. live where they live where they need to live within reason uh you know if they've got a family like put food on the table for the kids like like do the do the things they want to do and like not have to scramble and worry I think most people just don't want to worry that's Mm -hmm. what it is
0: It's true. That's really what it is. You get bogged down by the worry. But I'm glad you mentioned the stock market because with apps like Wealthsimple and such becoming really popular, especially in Canada, which where we both live, um, it seems like everyone is talking about investing. And I feel like you know when anyone, everyone is talking about something, everyone is just like rushing to do it. Like I need to get on Wealthsimple. I need to start investing. But like, who should be investing, and who is maybe not in the position to start investing yet?
1: Yeah, I think that investing is great, but um, so basically, when I when I say investing, too, what I'm actually talking about here is putting your money into the stock market in a way that is um, strategic, well thought out, um, and it's like it makes sense for you, not what makes sense to that internet person or your neighbor or that person at the proverbial water cooler on Slack, like like or that or that internet thread. So what, what happens is we get all this info from everybody and we think, well, they made some money there. Maybe I should, I was so dumb for not doing that. And there's this almost like a sense of FOMO. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's never great, uh, because what you don't know what that person's financial situation is behind the doors. Maybe they're so loaded. Maybe they have generational wealth coming at the union so they can take all these ridiculous risks. Maybe their rent is super low. Maybe they have no mortgage. Who knows? Mm -hmm look at what you need for your life first before you invest. And the whole point of investing is to like put your money in um, to like a well balanced, low fee portfolio. <laughs> it's so boring. Everyone wants me to say something exciting. It's really not. And, and like, and like you invested in a really like, you know, well diversified way and it grows over time. Like that's the actual key. And I still think even with that piece, um, you need to make sure that a couple of things are in place before you go and do that. Because as soon as you leave, as soon as you start investing, there's risk. It could go up tomorrow. It could go down tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so if if you're in a position where your money can go down, then that's different than somebody who can't pay rent next month. So um, what I would say is the first things that you want to make sure is uh, that you can, make ends meet every month. So mm-hmm. things coming in, things coming out, that's great. The second thing is that if you've got any consumer debt, like uh, high interest rate credit cards or anything like that, let's deal with that. If, and you've got a little bit of money to like push yourself forward financially. Let's put it there over investing. Mm. Because if you look at 19.99% on a credit card, like a rate of return, there's no investment that's gonna give you that. So you saving that 19% interest every month is the same as you putting your money into an investment that's growing at 19%, which is an insane rate of return that Mm -hmm. no one would ever get. So, um, So I think that we do that. Then I would build a little bit of an emergency account. And once that's all done, then we start looking to investing because we don't have any credit card debt. We've got an emergency account. We're making ends meet. Now it's time to think about the future.
0: Nice. So get your ducks in a row and be in a position that when you can ride it, Essentially, it's not like I got to pull this money out next month. Like it has to grow. It has to grow. It has to be something that you're like, okay, putting this money in and continuing to do that. So that in 20 years, it's like this huge amount.
1: That's exactly right. So your time horizon is massively important here. And one thing that I saw a lot of in 2021 was like speculative short-term investing in massive risk. And it blew up in a lot of people's faces. Those weren't my clients, obviously. Uh, But uh, (laughs) but, um, So like crypto investing or um, day trading, these are things that really took off in the last little bit. And someone would say, Oh, okay, well, I don't have enough money to pay rent next month. But if I if this works, I'll have rent for two months. And so it's this, it's this massive risk tolerance. Um, So they would throw in, you know, a couple thousand dollars, which is all they had to their name, and try to double it over like a 40 day period. And mm. it's it's so scary to do that. Because what happens is maybe you get lucky once, maybe you get lucky twice, and then you don't get lucky. I'd say when you're looking at that short time horizon with that speculative of investments you're almost gambling and I don't think anyone would sit there and be like yeah we should definitely gamble so when I'm talking about investing I'm not talking about short-term speculative investing I'm talking about like that boring long-term thing that you're like okay I'm going to put my money in here and it's going to be there for me later and that's my long game not my we're not investing for the short run
0: nice I love that because I think that's really valuable information for people that are getting maybe a little overexcited in the moment just because everyone's talking about investing, but maybe they're not in a position to do it yet. So you kind of got to assess your life first.
1: It's all about you. And I will say this too. So I'm one of this. I have a weird job where I get to actually look behind the scenes of people's (laughs) finances. And let me tell you, they're not posting the losses online. I mean, unless they're doing it for shock value. but. Most people, when they're talking about their big wins, there's a lot of losses that are just like straight up not being mentioned. Mm. And so so I would just, I would take everything that you hear about money with a grain of salt, unless someone's sharing their bank account statement with you. Straight up. I
0: mean, up. I feel like that's just advice for life. Take for everything life. you <laughs> eat on the internet, including shit that I post with a grain of yeah. salt, a big grain of delicious malden salt, but salt mm. nonetheless. Delicious salt, yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about death. Hmm. Acne isn't from dirty skin, and eczema isn't from something on your skin. Skin is healed from the inside out. In the skin class, I'm going to share how I healed my eczema naturally. From what I wish I knew before I started on this healing journey, my daily eczema healing routine, and every single product I used on and in my body. Recipes, including my homemade skin healing salve. This class will leave you feeling seen and like you finally have a real plan to heal. Head to biancaosborne.com forward slash go forward slash the skin class to join now. Welcome back, everyone. So, I mean, we covered so much in terms of like investing. And I think that's a really important topic because, I mean, you see it around now, especially on the internet, like women investing, you know, girl, get your bag, like this whole thing. So I think it's really important, like you said before, to just assess where you're at before you get too excited about investing money you don't really stand to lose in the moment. Okay, but we're going to talk about debt. So I have a question, and this was something that I really wondered when I was in my debt and money glow up journey myself. Can you pay off debt and save slash invest at the same time, or is it better to just deal with the debt first and then start saving?
1: I love this question. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, super slippery here and say it depends. But I'll give you my <laughs> rules. I'm going to give you my rules of them. So I think if you've got credit card debt that's really high interest. Um, investing it, like I said before, is is likely not going to return anything that's close to what you're being charged every single month. So if you just look at the sheer math on that, the best bang for your buck is to put it on the credit card. But what I do think is possible and even a good idea is let's say you got a hundred bucks a month and you're like, this is this is what I have to better my financial life, mm-hmm. then it's sometimes okay to be like, I'm going to send 50 of that to the credit card and 50 of that to an emergency account. Because what happens when you are in debt and you put everything you have to that credit card, like it's payday and you're like, boom, there it is. There's nothing left to spend. So inevitably Mm. you end up using your credit card, feeling like a giant failure and then giving up altogether. The other thing is, is like putting a little bit of mad money into a so, like, making sure you have enough money for a sustainable life out, outside of, like, don't just drop everything on the credit card. I think that's one of the worst financial habits because it leads to failure. Mm-hmm. So, like, decide what you're putting to the debt. Do that. Put some money in your checking account so you can live your life and, like, eat and get groceries. Um, and then what? I, put a little bit of money aside into an emergency account. And the reason I say that is that next time something happens, like oh man, that's 500 bucks or like, oh, this thing is like above and beyond what I was wanting to spend in this last little period of time. And you've got a little bit of cash stashed away. It's going to make you feel in control. Mm. And when you have debt that you're trying to dig out from out of feeling like you made good financial decisions is super important. Feeling like you're in control when bad things happen to you is important because when you have to go into debt, when something bad happens in your life, like life throws you a lemon, Um, it's like kicking you while you're already down, right? Mm. Like, and so, so I do think that there is room for a strategy around building some emergency funds while we're sustainably paying down our debt. And I often say to people, people expect me to be like, hammer that down, get there as fast as you can eat beans. Like whatever you have to do.
0: Yeah.
1: No, I have never seen another strategy fail more than that. Oh, (laughs) wow. I've I've been doing this for 15 years Mm. and the only way to tackle debt, unless it's like a a small amount of debt that was like, I went into this to buy this sofa and I'm going to kill it for the next three paychecks. Okay, fine. But I'm talking about somebody who's sitting there with five to $10,000 worth of debt and they are digging out from Mm -hmm. underneath it. Um, Sometimes you just got to like make peace with that debt and be like, Hey, you and I are on a journey. (laughs) We're going to go through it because otherwise what you end up doing is like at 3am making these like hyperactive plans that are not sustainable. Like you're not going to have enough cash flow to actually Mm. live a life. And so you're going to fail, but then you're going to feel like a failure and then you're going to have this whole debt spiral that happens. So just make a plan that works and just like hang out with it. And sometimes I even find when I tally up the interest um, that everybody's going to pay, like, let's say that they wanted to pay it off within six months. And I'm like, this is actually going to take three years the mm-hmm. devasti- the devastation can be like, like <laughs> on someone's face. And then I'm like, let's just hold up. Let's calculate what that actual interest lost is. And maybe it's like a thousand bucks. And I'm like, okay, would you pay a thousand dollars for your sanity over the next three years? So you can just do this slowly. Like, yeah, that, that's it. And they're like, oh, it's, that's it. It's because there's this fear mongering from financial professionals. Like, don't oh, the interest, the interest, the interest. But sometimes I would pay a fee for sanity.
0: Mm. I like that. And I love how you're talking about like the emotions around it. We attach so much emotion mm. to money and we let it really like when, cause I know even for myself, sometimes still, when I have money, I'm up, I feel great. But when I'm like, you know, a little skint, I'm waiting for people to pay me. Cause that's just like how my job is. I'm feeling a little less sure of myself. And I think we have to, and this is the work that I continue to do work on, Just letting money be like an inanimate object that, like you said before, just offers you options, choice, control, as opposed to it being the thing that is like defining at the moment. That's right.
1: It's not about your self-worth. What I think money does that makes us feel that lift is that I think it alleviates anxiety. So because money is how we like pay our bills and do the things that we want to do when we have it, we feel in control. And we don't feel as scared. And when we don't have it, that self-doubt or like that anxiety about like, well, what if that starts to happen? Yeah. Um, and so that's why I also think that like emergency accounts are like so sexy because I think it, <laughs> when, if you're able to build an emergency account, every time you log into your bank, you see this like little stash of money and you're like, I did that. There's a sense of accomplishment. And number two, it's like a warm blanket of calm when you're in that kind of spiral of of fear where you're like oh, what if, what if, what if, what if? It's like, that's okay. At least I know I could do this. At least I know I could do this. So I really Mm -hmm. think that taking the time to build up an emergency account, even if it takes like a year or so, is like so worth the emotional um, gain and the financial confidence it'll bring.
0: Nice, emergency fund. Um, okay, well, we live in Toronto and it is crazy real estate place here. It's, 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 it's madness. There's no other word for it. And I feel like it's no. kind of madness everywhere, but Toronto feels especially unique. That being said, growing up in the 80s and 90s, we were always told you have to have a house. Like it's the mm-hmm. only way to truly build wealth. Is that true? Do we need to own a house in order to build wealth in 2022 and beyond?
1: no we do not need to i think it is i think why that where that truth came from or where that sort of uh what's the driver of that is that because people who bought homes and then had these massive surges which was just luck that's not because they were skillful Uh, (laughs) they had dumb luck um that they had they rode up this like massive wave of housing it's easy to say, oh, well, that's the best way to build wealth because of what happened. But that doesn't mean it's the only way. I think that was the lucky way um, th- to, to do it. And it happened by sheer luck. But now in 2022, I feel like that's such a dated statement to make. Because mm-hmm. most people, you know, you think about New York, and I'm not saying Toronto is New York, but what I'm, I'm using it as an example, and so many other places around the world, People rent and it's like, not no one even talks about it. It's not even like a, it's, not, a it's not even a conversation exactly. And people grow up with no expectation that they would own a place. So it doesn't even define their, you know, success or failure from mm-hmm. their career or whatever. It's like not even a thing we have. it; It's warped here for sure. And uh, I've noticed that when I've traveled around, that it's really like, there's such, it's almost like a, it's like, it's just so it's so intense for so many people to feel like a failure if they don't own a home. Mm -hmm. And, but nowadays what I'm seeing is people, if you can rent, even if the, and the rent is also making this harder too, because it's going up and up, but the most important thing to do to build wealth isn't to own a house. The most important thing to do to build wealth is to save money. That's it. So why a house helps with that is that a mortgage payment is forced savings every single month, Mm. whether you like it or not, it's like a bill, right? And then at the end of the day, you can like cash it out or whatever, um, but if you don't have that forced savings, then you then some, it's like kind of like a choose your own an adventure. And then that's why it's mm. not as, it's not as militant. But what I, what I think is the most important thing about saving on your own is like building that habit, having an automatic savings and then, in, and then investing it, as I said, in a boring, low fee, well-balanced portfolio, that is like how you build wealth outside of it. Or a lot of people, what they're doing to get creative about home ownership is like pairing up with like a, a friend or a sibling or something like that. And like buying a, buying a property together and either living in it or renting it out and then they still rent where they live. So mm-hmm. I, think, I think what I'm saying is there's a lot of creative ways. It doesn't have to be the boring old way, which works just as well. Um, it's, just not as, it's just not as easy. I think it requires a little bit more discipline versus a mortgage payment, which happens whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the other thing is getting really creative around how can you diversify those different income streams for yourself and the different ways that your money is going to grow. Yeah.
0: I feel like that again, I think maybe it's just being Canadian slash North American that we place such a high value on whether you own a house or not, but there's a lot of people who are getting jammed up real, real large right now because of
1: these interest
0: rates just going out of control. Oh,
1: it's wild. And we've also like had 15 years of low of like artificially low interest rates. And so that also led to why the housing market skyrocketed so much because somebody could buy a million dollar house um, because they could afford the monthly payment on a $900,000 mortgage. Well now that $900,000 mortgage is going to be like 5,500 bucks. Mm. So who, who can afford that mortgage payment when it might've been $2,500, you know, a year and a half ago or $3,000, like it's, it's, it's a huge difference. And so I think, I think that we'll see that kind of settle out. And I think that um, some of the brokest people I see are homeowners. And I don't know that the average renter hears that or knows that. Mm. So so that's nice to actually. Yeah. So, <laughs> th- Some of the brokest, what I mean by that, too, is like um, broke as in, yes, there's cash flow coming in. But every dollar of it is spoken for, and there isn't even a dollar left over for like to build an emergency account or to do anything. Mm. So it is paycheck to paycheck between the mortgage and the property tax and the housing and blah, 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 all that stuff. And the house stuff that breaks, and a lot of that goes on to lines of credit. And then at mortgage time, when they refinance, they roll that hundred thousand dollar line of credit back into the mortgage. So they're not building wealth. So the only time that a homeowner in that situation is building wealth is if they get lucky enough that the housing price is rising because they're not paying the mortgage down. Yeah. And so I don't know that everyone sees that or talks about that enough, but I see it all the time. And so I think there, the bet is like in the long run, the housing prices will go up enough that it doesn't matter that I haven't really made a dent in the mortgage and then I'll sell at some point and move. Um, but like, that's a long way off and it's an, it's a stressful existence for sure. And so I I think that buying a house you can't afford is actually not a good financial decision. I think buying a house you can afford is great. And I think renting affordably so you can save is great. I think those two are equal.
0: Yeah. I think people need to start buying houses because they like want to live in them and like build a family or a life in them, as opposed to thinking of like, this is going to be such a good investment because I think that is, has warped people's vision of just housing in general.
1: Yeah, it really did. I think what happened was so unnatural in the last like twenty to like twenty five years. Like, I grew up in the suburbs of of Toronto in the like eighties and early nineties, <laughs> and my parents bought their home for hundred and sixty thousand dollars. It is now worth one point something. Wow. I was I didn't grow up in an affluent neighborhood. It was a very normal neighborhood. It was like like not. But now the families that are in that neighborhood are. Incredibly wealthy, and it's so mind-boggling to me. I'm like, how did this same little house? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, like how did this house that I grew up in that was that was, um, how is this worth this? Like, that is not inflation. That is so far up beyond mm-hmm. inflation. Do you know what I mean? It's like it doesn't make sense. It boggles my mind. Um, and it's just it's wild that there's my parents got so lucky, and that's luck. That's my parents didn't buy that house one hundred and sixty thousand dollars in 1989 and be like this is a good investment they were like we need to live here
0: yeah exactly I feel like that's just again whenever I look and I see all this talk about real estate and like buy now get into the market like I was looking for a place to live in April because we were moving and the real estate agent that we hired to help us find somewhere to rent was like you know if you bought you could afford the same mortgage it's like no like No, now is not a good time. Not even really considering any of the factors that really matter. He just like believes we should buy a house and it's
1: faulty. I think so. I also think that, so what you, another smart decision you made there too. I think the, so you're paying one fee for rent, the mortgage and the rent. That's not what we actually have to compare to the rent is like the property tax, the insurance, the uh, utilities, the water bill, then the repairs, then the maintenance, all of that other stuff that is your financial problem And so you could argue that the house will go up over time um, and like that's that's a missed opportunity or something. You could argue that for sure. But I don't like the argument that the mortgage is the same as the rent because there's so much more that goes Mm. into affording a house than just the mortgage. And um, I think that if you rent affordably and you can still save, then you have less stress, I think
0: that's what I'm doing. I have very low living costs, like fractional compared to what I make in a month. And it has released so much stress on my life, but it has also made me more feel more in control of my money because I'm able to build a nice emergency fund and just money there where, and I think for someone like me who has anxiousness around money, having money, like like a, not a stockpile. I'm not, I'm not rich, but having just money put away in an amount that knows that like, I've got like four or five, six months there yep. gives me so much peace, more peace than having a place that I can't afford, but that looks good.
1: The peace that homeowners have is 20 years away. The peace that you have is like 20 seconds away. Do you know what I mean?
0: Totally. You don't have to totally. wait for it.
1: Well, everyone
0: just want to let you know that we're going to have a Shannon bonus episode. So you're going to want to look up for that in the holiday episode, but we are done for this one. So Shannon, for everyone who wants to get to know you, I know I mentioned I was in your solopreneur tax course, but tell everyone where they can find you, what kind of courses you have to offer and help you have to give people who want to get a money glow up of their own.
1: Uh, thank you. Uh, thank so www.newschoolfinance.com is kind of like the hub. We do one on one financial planning, which is uh, unbiased fee only, which is amazing. Uh, and then we also have a bunch of DIY courses, which is the one that you took for your personal life or if you're a solopreneur um, to take there. And there's also I've got uh, some financial books that are out in the world and there you can find your way to those too. I love it. I actually just
0: want to say one more thing before we end this episode. I remember in the course, you said, I look at, you would like literally said, I look at so many people's money behind the scenes. And she's like, someone who you would look at and think has a ton of it is actually broker than you would ever be able to fathom. And that like really stuck with me because I think we're all just trying to glow up in a way with our money that looks good to other people, but that's not what it's about. It's about actually feeling good and safe with your finances. and you help Good and that. safe.
1: The best words you could have cho- like chosen there. Good and safe with your money. That's the feeling that we're not somebody else's. Who cares? Who cares? It's all about us. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Glow Up Tips for the Girls podcast. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, please leave me a rating, a review, subscribe, share. I mean, open your window and just scream out, listen to this podcast. And if you have any feedback for me, please join me on Instagram at Bianca.Osborne, and you can give it to me there. The good, the bad, the ugly, I welcome it all. From my lips to your ears, shine on. See you next time.